This is most certainly true. In the greatest act of selfless mercy, God sent His own Son into our world to die for your sins. And we can't stop talking about it. We now present this sermon, recently delivered at Grace, to you. The second lesson appointed for this Sunday serves as the basis for this morning's sermon, recorded in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 13. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All God's people here send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The word of the Lord. is only as good as the object in which you place it. That proved to be true in 2011 when a woman who was in the Seattle area for a work convention was on her way back to her hotel. If there are any office fans here today, it's a real-life version of Michael Scott because she followed her trusty GPS following its every direction until she drove her rental car into a body of water. It really happened. She trusted her GPS. She had faith in her GPS, but her faith was misplaced and it failed her. Faith is simply a trust or a confidence in someone or in something. Throughout human history, people have placed their faith in many different things. People place their faith in people. People place their faith in a job or a bank account, a house or other material possessions. People place their faith in themselves and in their own ability. And yet it remains true that faith is only as strong as the object in which you place your faith. Because the people that we place our faith in, they let us down, they fail us, and they eventually die. The things that we place our faith in, they they break, they wear out, and they eventually need to be replaced. We ourselves are unreliable and untrustworthy because we know well how often we let ourselves down and how often we fail ourselves. Having faith in any of these temporal things has always proven to be misplaced and a failure. Thankfully, today our God reminds us through his Apostle Paul that our faith is not in anything earthly or temporal, but our faith is in the divine because it is in our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, the issue with this, though, is you understand why people might not believe in the the Trinity, the triune God, as the object of one's faith. And that is because our minds cannot grasp this concept of the Trinity because they are limited 
by sin. For example, if you read through that first lesson again, that creation account, maybe you've had times in your life where you've just kind of thought about how God was just there. Like he was there before creation, before the world, the universes, all that stuff. He wasn't born, he was just there. If you've ever just sat and thought about that, maybe you're like me, but you just can't help but like shake your head because you can't comprehend it. The same is true with this teaching of the Trinity. The Bible teaches us that the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. And yet the Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God. But they're not three gods, only one God. And if you just sit and think about that, eventually your, your mind's just going to go crazy because you can't wrap your brain around how that's the case, how that's possible. If it were up to our own reason and understanding to, to understand and believe this, we would never believe it. We quickly reject it and we would consider it utter foolishness, which of course many people do. But that's where faith comes in. Because through our God-given faith, our reason must take a back seat to the words of God in these types of matters. Trusting that God is not trying to lead us to believe some kind of fantastical, fictional story tale. But God is telling us and teaching us this about himself because he has something good in mind for us. That he has us going on the path to perfection on that road to heaven. And yet even though my reason must take a back seat to these types of matters of faith, that doesn't mean that my reason stops existing. All you and I need to do is take a step back and observe this rat race of life, and all we ever see is what seems to be sin going crazy, running rampant, evil prevailing, deception succeeding. We see all the things that God tells us to flee from in life. Those are the things that seem to be tolerated and encouraged and promoted. And yet here you and I are doing what God asks of us, what God expects of us. And what do we get for it? Seemingly nothing but trouble and suffering and conflict. You and I are belittled for the object of our faith. We're railed on because we hold firm to the words of God and believe that they are literal and true. We are hated because we stand on our biblical convictions. And as we see all of these things going on in our minds and in our world, it can seem as if God isn't there, that God doesn't care, that he's just distant and far off. Have you ever thought those things like me? Has your reason ever tried to tell you similar things? Because if so, then your reason has probably tried to convince you that the God you follow is not worth the problems he presents in your life. Your reason, like mine, has probably tried to convince you that God is nothing more than this gray-haired grandpa in the sky who is too old and too tired and too distant to do anything about anything. Maybe your reason has tried to convince you that God is nothing more than a figment of the human imagination that he's nothing more than, as some say, this magical sky fairy who is there for weak people to make themselves feel better about themselves. But that's the problem with human reason. It cannot grasp the divine. 
And so what does it do? It automatically defaults into ignoring or ultimately rejecting the divine because they can't make sense of it. But the thing is, God is not distant. He is not far off. And those who try to convince you of that are lying to you. Because here today, the Apostle Paul, God through the Apostle Paul tells us this, that the God of love and peace will be with you. There were times it certainly didn't seem as if the Corinthians uh, had God among them. If you're familiar with the Corinthians, and especially the book of 1 Corinthians, it was a congregation plagued with many problems. And those problems led to division among the members of that congregation. The Corinthians were plagued by cliques within the church. The Corinthians were struggling with sexual issues like we are, like in regards to sex and human sexuality. There were those in the Corinthian congregation who were suing one another. There were those in the Corinthian church who were unconcerned about how their choices of Christian freedom could affect and cause a stumbling block to those who were newer or weaker in the faith. There were those in the church who were boasting about their spiritual gifts and looking down on those who, in their mind, had lesser spiritual gifts. And there were still others in the church who were not quite convinced that Jesus actually rose from the dead. If any of these problems sound familiar, it's because they are. As Solomon has said, there is nothing new under the sun. There are problems and things that can happen in churches that can also cause divisions in churches just like this. Has any of that kind of reared its ugly head in this congregation? where something as maybe benign as a disagreement over church matters has led into acrimony between church members? If you or I ever put our own personal choices of Christian freedom over and above care and concern for the souls of others and how it might affect them, has this kind of division ever shown itself in a congregation like this where we think our gifts and roles in the church are far superior to the gifts and roles of others to the point that we might even look down on those who seemingly are lesser in the kingdom of God. And yet this type of division doesn't simply happen within visible churches. This division is going on in our hearts each and every day because division exists between us and God. By nature, we are God's mortal enemies. We hate Him. We want nothing to do with Him. And this plays itself out each and every day because every day God commands us to do this. And what is our natural response? That this could be anything. He says, do this. And our natural response? I'm not going to do that. Or on the flip side, God commands us not to do certain things. And, and what's our natural response? Who are you to tell me what to do? I'm going to do what I want. There is daily division in our hearts every day because of our sin, which has separated us from our God. And now every single day a war is being waged regarding who will be the God of our hearts and the God of our lives. And far too often we choose ourselves. So how did the Corinthians go from being divided into a unified group? How did you and I go from being God's adversaries to now being his dearly loved, saved sons and daughters. 
that change happened in us because our triune God entered and brought us into a unique union with himself. And you may ask yourself, why would God do that? Why would he do that for people who act the way they do and behave the way they do? Well, the words in our, our scripture lesson today are familiar words that give us a picture into God's heart and what he wants for us and for all people. They are often referred to as the apostolic blessing. The Apostle Paul writes that God is doing this because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. First, just to touch on that love of God. Have you ever recognized how remarkable it is that God loves you and me? Because if God's love for us was based on nothing more than a feeling, He would never feel that for us. Because we're undeserving of His love, and we throw His love back in His face countless times a day through our rebellion and sin. But what's remarkable is that God's love for us is not based on a feeling, it's based on a commitment. And that committed love of God led him to act. It led him to send his very own son to come into this world to die for you, me, and all people while we were still sinners. While we hated him and rejected him and cursed his name. And again, God did this for us not because we had earned or deserved it, but he did this for us because he desperately wanted to be in a relationship with you and me now and for eternity. And we see that love of God most vividly through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul speaks about this grace a few chapters earlier here in 2 Corinthians when he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus had it all. He had all power, all glory, all dominion. Everything that was in the earth was his as he reigned from his throne in heaven. And yet he gave up that throne to take on human flesh and to suffer everything that human beings could possibly suffer. Why would he do that? Why would he humiliate himself to such a degree? He did because he saw our poverty-stricken state and he desperately wanted to change it. He desperately wanted to make us rich for eternity. And so he willingly let himself be nailed to the cross so that his blood could flow, so that when you and I look to him with the eyes of faith, you and I can be cleansed in that flood of his blood, forgiven for all the times we have thought that there's a better way in life, that there's a better object of faith, to forgive us for all the times that we have concluded that God isn't there. He doesn't love me. He's not with us. He did all of that so that this relationship that God wants to have with us could become a reality. And now that relationship, that unity with God is a reality through the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brought us into this unique union with God through His means of grace, the gospel and word and sacraments. For many of us here, we might have been brought into that union with God when that water connected to the powerful Word of God washed us clean in our baptism, in, in which our, our sinful nature was violently drowned, that violent nature, that sinful nature that thrives on division, 
Well, at the same time in that baptism, we were marked and named children of God, sons and daughters of God himself, so that you and I are now one with God, now and for eternity. Maybe for others of you, you you became one with God when someone cared enough about your soul to share the Word of God with you. And as that Word of God was proclaimed to you, the Holy Spirit worked through it to reveal to you who God is, what He has done for you, and what that means for you now and for eternity. Now because of that, you are united with your God. He is with you to this day. And now, even though God is still with us in His Word, He comes to us in yet another way through His Supper. As He comes to us and uses all of our physical senses to remind and to assure us in the most personal way of our forgiveness and our eternity, reminding us of this with simple means, in wafer and wine, in body and blood, and with simple words such as given and shed for you, to remind you that you remain one with your God. He is still with you now and forever. You see, the Holy Spirit brought us into this unique union with our God so that our relationship with Him would no longer be adversarial, but it would be peaceful and harmonious. But even more than that, the Holy Spirit brought us into this unique union with God so that when you and I are standing before that judgment seat of God, either after we die or when Jesus comes again, We can stand before God's throne and not cower in fear, but we can stand before God's throne in confidence, knowing that because of Jesus, I am right with God. He doesn't see my sin. He sees Jesus' perfection. And that gives me peace and comfort and confidence in this life and even in the face of death because I know that God is with me now and forever. And then that unique union that we have with God, it then flows into our relationships with others. The Apostle Paul makes this plea to the Corinthians and also to us when he says, Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. The Apostle Paul is encouraging this unity despite the differences that may exist. He's encouraging this among the Corinthians and us, even though there are going to be times when we don't see eye to eye. He encourages this unity, even though we might all be at different levels of faith and sanctified living. He encourages this unity, even though we all have different gifts and abilities that we can use in service to God. And he encourages this unity even as we look at our world, even though it seems out of control, even though it seems as if evil is running rampant and godliness is fading away. He encourages this unity because his union with us has not changed. He is still with us. He still loves us. He still cares for us, for our lives, for our world, our congregations. He cares for us all. He cares for our soul and our salvation, and he promises to be with us, as we heard in our gospel lesson, to the very end of the age. And that love that God has for us compels us to show that love and express that unity with others so that others might come to know God and join in that union with him that we already enjoy. This union that we have with God is unique. Because there is no other God in this world, no other God in any religion, 
that can offer the peace, the forgiveness, and the comfort that the triune God can offer us. And more than that, there is no other God in any other religion that is as close and as personal as the God of the Bible, the triune God. And so for that reason, there is no better object of faith, no better God to worship and cling to than the triune God. So on this Holy Trinity Sunday, may you and I continually be grateful for and cling to our triune God because He is still with us and He promises to be with us for all eternity. And there is absolutely nothing in your life and nothing in this world that can or will ever change that fact. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about God's grace or to support this ministry, please visit gracedowntown.org today. This grace is for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace.